Well, I would love to pray for us before we, we get into God's Word. Um, I never thought I'd be preaching a last sermon at, at the well, at least uh, prior to launch, so it is a, a privilege to do so. So why don't I go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive in. Uh, Father in heaven, we give you uh, the glory and the praise that you deserve. And Lord, as we sit uh, within your presence, we ask that you would point us back to you. Lord, we simply claim your promise that, uh, as you say in James, that if we uh, draw near to you, God, that you would respond and you would draw near to us. So, Lord, today, the day that you have made, we rejoice in it, we're glad in it. Whatever reason that you have brought us here on a Sunday, would you speak powerfully? Would you, would your spirit rest and manifest in this, in this home? Would you wash the scales from our eyes? Would you just clean out our ears that we can see you in all of your beauty? We can hear uh, your love songs. We can hear you, your voice, and that you would draw near to us. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing to you. You are our rock and our redeemer in whom we trust. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I left Maryland back in 2012. I had grown up at NCFC my entire life, was baptized there, served as a pastoral intern and eventually as a pastor, and really the plan was to, to stay there for the rest of my life, whatever that looked like. And in 2011, I uh, did a, a long fast during Lent season and felt the Lord say, hey, I want you to leave Maryland and I want you to go to Philly. Uh, I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know what that entailed, so I asked uh, some of the senior leaders, our family, to pray together, and it was unanimous. Uh, and so out of obedience, I had left Maryland, my home that I grew up in, and I went to Philly. Uh, well, I actually went to a place called Norristown, which I thought was Philly, but it most definitely is not. And some of us here, close brothers of mine, they helped me move, and they were just like, we'll be praying for you, Okay. Uh, it's, it's really a rundown place. You don't really move into Norristown. You move out. I remember a few conversations when I was looking for a church. They had asked me, hey, where do you live? And when I say Norristown, there's a visible shock, right? They're like, oh, my gosh, why? Would, why? What are you doing there? Are you missionary there? And it's like, to be honest, it's the only thing I can afford, so let's move on. It's an interesting township, and it's not really diverse. There's a lot of crime, and there is absolutely no Asians, all right, none. I was the only one, at least that I know of. And I, trust me, I was looking. So as I'm living in Norristown, I don't really know why God has called me here. I'm looking for a different church. And I remember one of the first churches I went to, similar to what Gio had said, just within your vicinity, it was in Norristown. It's called Macedonia Baptist. And so I went there on a Sunday. Their service time was supposed to start at 10 o'clock. It started at 11. Uh, and it's a very traditional African-American church. Right, so I went there, again, the only Asian, I stood out like a sore thumb, and immediately the pastor, his name is Pastor Byron Craig, I'll never forget, large man, just, just very vibrant, and he came up to me, and he said, hey, welcome, what are you doing here? And I said, hey, well, I moved to Norristown, I'm from Maryland, I really have no idea what church I'm going to be going to. The service was great, and he said, hey, we have an MLK service uh, in the coming week, would love for you to come as one of my guests. And I was very hesitant because I said, in my heart, this is what I was saying, and the Lord is translating this for him. Uh, I kind of draw back a bit because I've never been put in that situation. I had grown up in a very 
uh, predominantly Korean-American community. Uh, I went to public schools and, and played sports and all that, but in terms of church life, never went outside of the Korean church. And so when he had invited me to this event, uh, it sounded like there will be multi, you know, multiple churches, uh, different organizations. And I, as I'm responding in my heart to this, he said, hey, don't worry. He said, all you need to know is let people know that you're with me. And I said, okay, Pastor Byron, I'm going to take you at your word. And so the following week, I go to a, a different church. I can't remember the name. And as I walk up, there is an usher slash doorkeeper, and he's looking at me funny. Again, because there's no Asians in Norristown, let alone this Asian guy trying to go into an MLK service. And he says, hey, uh, what are you looking for? And I said, oh, I'm here for the MLK service. And he looks perturbed, and I said, by the way, Pastor Byron was the one who invited me. I'm his guest. Almost immediately, there was this shift from confusion to an immediate welcoming. He brought, he brought me by the hand. I don't know why, but he brought me by the hand. And we walked down. It was a very long sanctuary, probably almost twice as long as this. It was packed. Probably 99% African American. That 1% was me and another white guy I saw. Okay, And we're walking down, and I'm telling you, every pew is packed to the brim. He's holding me by the hand. We're walking dead center, and I can feel the eyes on me. And he brings me all the way up to the front, right where Pastor uh, Byron was, and there was a seat just for me. And when the pastor was there, he said, oh, man, glad you came and you made it. And I will never forget this experience, not because it was a cultural, spiritual wake-up call, but because there was such a deep sense of insecurity. Do I belong here? Am I welcomed here? All of the things that's kind of brewing within, and it went from insecurity to such confidence and peace simply because of one person's word. Just let them know you're with me. It changed the game. When we're reading this text, we're talking about access. We're talking about confidence, not in ourselves. We're talking about confidence in another. The heart of this text is all about access enabled through a sufficient advocate. And those in Christ have the unprecedented confidence to commune within God's God's presence and his glory. So simply, we have two major points today that I want to expound on. The first is this. Access belongs to us because we belong to Jesus. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, this language is directly referencing the holy of holies, right? The the temple of God, the tabernacle. It's the dwelling place of God's presence. And David talked about it last week. When you look at a diagram, it's kind of smack dab on the west side towards the middle. And only the high priests have access to this once a year. Once a year. And there are days of rituals in order for them to make sure that when they stand in the presence of God, they are fully cleansed. Because if they're not, what happens? They drop dead. They drop dead. The presence of God is so experientially thick that if they're not cleansed because he demands purity and perfection, that they drop dead in the presence of God. There's not a lot of one-to-one examples, but if you can imagine, none of us here, we have one guy that's actually a part of our planting team. His name is Chris. He works for the Secret Service. Other than him, 
or a few of us that have been to the White House, unless you have identification or access, we're not rolling up to the White House and saying, hey, let me in. Let alone, if you somehow get in, you're not going to roll up to the Oval Office and say, hey, I belong here. You need credentials. You need some sort of backup. You need references. So when we're looking at the parallels here, simply put, we don't have any rights in God's presence because of our sin. His presence is what demands that purity. It's what demands perfection. This is something we just cannot measure up on our own. And that is the beauty and power of the gospel of grace. Verse 20 says this. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now, there is some theologically rich stuff here as it showcases the realities of Christ. You talk about his death and resurrection. You talk about his rightful position. If you want to simplify this theologically deep and rich text, it's saying that Christ is the full embodiment of God's glory. As I was listening to some music this morning and just meditating on God's word, the song was repeating that God clothed his deity with flesh. And what he's referencing here is that upon his death and resurrection, his body broken, that glory of God literally was infinitely poured out for the sake of humanity and creation. And when you parallel that with what it says in the Gospels, upon Jesus taking his last breath, what happens? You see the curtain within the tabernacle. Now, this curtain isn't some, you know, Amazon, and no disrespect to SDA. It's not some cheap curtain that can rip on its own. You're talking about this thick, thick thing. You know why? Because it separates all of the world. More so, it protects the world from the presence of God. And what happens when Jesus takes his last breath, his body broken, the glory of God being unveiled for all creation, you see that veil being torn from head to toe. What does that represent? It means all the things that you needed in terms of credentials, that very few elect officials, the high priest that was able to enter in one time a year, that access is no longer simply for the Levites. It's for anybody to claim Jesus as their Savior. Imagine this. Now, you know, my parents are here. I'm saved now, but, you know, we made some mistakes in the past. You know, clubbing was a, a very enjoyous time in my life. Love you, wifey. Um, you cannot get in unless you have two things, okay? You either have VIP access or you have money. What the Lord is pointing out here is that those that are in Christ, we have VIP access to the inner courts, but many of us are not participating in the inner courts because we're still trying to claim our own merits to be right with the Lord. The days in which we begin to build our own merit-based grace to come before God, the days, those moments when we're saying, you know, because I did X, Y, or Z, the Lord is good with me, we're using a VIP access cards to still wait in line. The Lord is revealing to us that there is a new and living way, and that's simply rooted in the reality of Christ. We now have an advocate, a high priest, a sufficient and better Savior who will never fail us. And our confidence is knowing our access to God will never expire. It will never fall short. It's to have an advocate, a mediator, somebody that is speaking on our behalf right now that will never fail us. 
We have access into the inner courts, the holy of holies, the, the Shekinah glory. That's the weight of God to be in his presence, knowing that we're not perfect, but we're claimed as perfect because of Jesus. That has to be the most peace-giving and also terrifying statement for us. You know what I'm saying? Because many of us, it's, it's, it's almost easier to trust in our own skill set. For your profession or your workplace, you trust in the skills that you have or you developed. You're able to comply, you're able to complete tasks because you have these skills. But imagine going into another workplace, a new field, and not knowing anything, and yet people still look at you, accept you, and say, good job. That's profoundly awkward. And yet that's what we do when we stand in the presence of God. It's not your skills. It's, it's not the things that you have done. It's simply to claim that I am imperfect and I need a sufficient Savior. And that's why we can commune with God. That's the confidence we have. So in light of this new reality found in Jesus, we as believers are called into certain privileges, and that's point two. Access give up, gives us the privilege to partake in obedience. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is simply a profound truth that anyone who professes Christ as Savior is able to draw near to God without shame and without insecurity. I want to say that again, without shame or insecurity. So there are many of us here, those that are watching, that still feel a sense of a little bit of shame or a lot of bit of shame. Matt talks about this every week when we do confession. There are things that we should have done that we didn't do. There are things that we did do that we know that it's against the holiness of God. We know that we are acting in our own sin. But the shame is not what draws us near to God. It's his kindness. Kindness is what draws us near to God. And what draws us near to God, knowing that on the back end of repentance, there is refreshing. That's Acts 3.19. And the gospel of grace consistently speaks into this, that we are washed clean, that we are purified because of the blood of Christ. And so when we look at this profound truth, we also have to recognize that this is a crazy reality. Guys, let me ask you, is anybody the president of the United States here in this room? Nobody. Who is that? President Biden. He is the president-elect. He has access into the Oval Office. He has access into his own bedroom in the White House. Nobody else. Imagine this. That may be hard for us to comprehend. In your own home, what's the most intimate place? Usually it's the bedroom. I don't care how close you are with somebody. I don't go into somebody's house and just immediately go to their bedroom. It's offensive. Why? Because that's a safe place. That's a refuge. That's a place of intimacy, of rest. We have access to the Lord's bedroom. Imagine who has access to your own bedroom. You, your spouse, your children. That's pretty much it. Why? Because they're claimed as your own. And what the Lord is saying here is you are my own. You belong here. You have access here. And when we recognize that, because that parallel, again, it was such for a few elect people to enter the inner courts, the holy of holies. It was denied to prophets. 
denied to kings. I mean, people who you would think deserve to go in. They were denied that privilege, and yet it is freely given to you and to me. That, that is such a weighty, life-giving statement, that the Lord loves us enough that he calls you his own, that you can come into the inner courts, the most intimate of places, my own bedroom. Let's not waste that opportunity. God is calling us all into intimacy. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of hope, of our hope, without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. I want to touch on that back half first because that is what uh, sets the tone for that beginning of the verse. The promises of God ring loud and true throughout Scripture, that he who promised is faithful. You see that throughout the Old Testament and in the Gospels. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. That's not a message for just pastors or planters, missionaries. That's a calling for every single believer that's called to live a life worthy of the gospel, to stand firm for the sake of the gospel, to be countercultural, to have a prophetic voice, which means to stand firm and to not waver to the left or to the right for the sake of not our own lives, but the sake of Christ. And he says, I am the one that is with you always. And because of that, hold fast to the confession of our hope. Not because you're strong enough. Some of us have you know, greater willpower than others. Some of us are more spiritually mature than others. But that's not the caveat to holding fast to what is true. It's the character of God. That's why, we, again, we can have confidence because if and when we do fail, Christ does not. It's to stand firm for the sake of the gospel. It's to live a life worthy of the good news of Christ. It's to firmly root ourselves in the hope that we have in the gospel of Christ. And when we consider what the last two verses say in verse 24 and 25, in light of all this, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Relationships is what reforms reality. What I mean by that is this, our relationship with Christ is what re redefines our relationships with people. In light of me being in Christ, I am able to therefore have the capacity to love the way that he loves me. And the same thing with you. Uh, I have a, a couple here, uh, David and Mina. I remember this conversation. They may not remember. We were sitting at their old house in, in Gaithersburg. Uh, I had come back from Philly, and I was just having a terrible time. I didn't know what I was doing there. I missed home. Uh, I was having GI issues, like throat issues. What is that? It's losing weight. And I actually remember what, what Mina had shared with me. She said, I'm not jealous of your life. Your life is pretty hard. But I'm envious of what the Lord has for you. You don't speak those words unless you have a reformed reality in Christ. Relationships is what allows us to stir one another in love. That's what encouragement is. Encouragement simply is to pour courage into another. To speak words of affirmation, to challenge, to convict with love to the purpose unto pointing them to Jesus. It's to pour out what is needed in that specific time in order for them to what? To walk out the life given to them. 
My wife does that probably every single day. What a, she's a prayer warrior. She intercedes. Even this morning, I was encouraged by her because it was raining, and I was like, Dad, it's raining. People's not going to show up. My hair's going to get wet. My clothes, my shoes, they're suede. She starts singing a worship song. Rain down all around. I'm looking at her. I'm like, I'm so encouraged. Because the smallest of things, it speaks life into somebody. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We are able to love because of our relationship with Jesus. We're called to emulate, to imitate who Jesus is in order that people may know the authenticity and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And I want to close with this. Wherever you are, we have some people that are part of our planting team. Praise the Lord. Like I said, the Lord has brought over the past year and a half 25 people from different churches to say, yes, I'm going to believe in the vision that God is good enough to save people for the sake of a city. Our prayer and our vision is, Lord, I want to see revival in our lifetime. That it's possible on campus. That it's possible for a city that's seemingly forgotten. But this is not just a pep talk for planting team members. This is an encouragement for all of us through the Spirit of God, through His Word, to say that we are all called to live out confidently through the access we have in Jesus to stand firm in the presence of God, fully accepted, loved, advocated for, embraced as a child, as a son, and as a daughter. I want to read for you previous verses that really just encompasses what all of this is saying. You have the gospel of grace in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You have the authority of God, verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. The sufficiency of Jesus, verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then lastly, the sovereign promises in and through the Holy Spirit, verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawlessness deeds no more. And verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. That's the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ. So in light of this truth, we have the confidence to enter into the presence of God. Almost unabashingly. I mean, imagine this. Those that have young children, that inner course of your bedroom, that refuge and solace that you have during the night until you have to do it all over again. That when you rest, your kids just barge in, uninvited. You're supposed to stay in your room. Let your mom and dad rest. But what immediately happens? I hear this time and again. Come lay with your father and your mom. Tim Keller says it best. The only person that has the audacity to knock on a king's door at 2 o'clock in the morning just for a cup of water is a child. 
That's the access that we have. And because we have that access, let us walk confidently, knowing that the Lord will never leave us, He will never forsake us, and that ultimately His desire is for us to become more and more like Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you today. Maybe some of us feel uninvited. Some of us here may feel lacking. Some of us may feel that we don't deserve to be here. And Lord, all of those things have some truth to it. But Lord, there is a greater truth that we are accepted and embraced by God the Father because of the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And by the life and death, the resurrection, and ultimately the ascension of Jesus, we have the confidence in and through the Holy Spirit, our helper, our counselor, to walk out this life confidently, humbly, unwavering, because you are enough. And you are our source of hope. You are our source of, of confidence and conviction. And you are the source of love. So Lord, today as we approach the communion table of sorts, that you will remind us that the only merit is because of Jesus. And because it's fully on Christ, despite the sins of our heart and our mind, despite the, the dirtiness that we may feel in our own soul, that we would come before you as we were reminded of the body broken in order that the glory of God may be fully revealed for the earth and the blood of Christ represented, which covers all sin. God, I'm reminded even now that the, the amounts and the depths of our sin is great, but Lord, your grace is even greater. So God, remind us of that grace today, wherever we stand. We're accepted in your presence. We don't have to worry about death in your presence because we have Christ as our advocate, the better high priest, the most sufficient sacrifice and savior, the only one that can save, the walking word of God. And his word says, come. His word is what ushers in to, for us to draw near. So God, I even now, there, there, I feel like there are some that have just walked a dry and barren land for the past however many seasons, that there is a lack of vibrancy in the spiritual life. Lord, would you rejuvenate and would you replenish? Because ultimately, it's, it's, it's a lack of repentance. It's a lack of turning to you. Not simply turning away from sin, but to turn to you. So God, give us a reviving a life-giving experience yet again that we need, that we would remember our first love, that we would remember what it means to be in love, to be intimately welcomed into the inner courts and unashamed. I love what Pastor Matt said, that, Lord, even though we don't live perfectly, we know that grace perfects us. So, Lord, all of us here, would you remind us yet again what it means to rest in grace, to find refuge in you, to be still and to know that you are, in fact, God. If we can, before we take communion, just to pray, wherever you are, wherever the, 
whatever the Lord is bringing up, if that's to confess, would you confess it? If it's to simply rest and to enjoy the presence of God, let it be. But again, let's not waste this moment, this opportunity that God has again given to us to stand in his glory, unashamed as a son or as a daughter of God. Let's take some time to pray together and I'll lead us into communion.